change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, drug-free community substance use prevention coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to episode 45 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Thank you all so much for your support. If you'd like to be an insider to the Organizing for Change podcast, join our email list. You'll be the first to know about upcoming episodes and you'll get a summary after each episode with links to anything we've talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. Today's guest is Dr. Lauren Cross. Dr. Cross is an interdisciplinary artist, filmmaker, curator, and scholar whose work has been screened and exhibited across the country. Cross's feature film, The Skin Quilt Project, was an official selection for the 2010 International Black Women's Film Festival in Berkeley, California, and screened at various museums, universities, colleges, and community organizations across the country. Dr. Cross is a passionate advocate for diversity in the arts and has written and contributed research in fields of women's studies, visual studies, and multicultural studies. Today, we will cover unique ways that art contributes to creating change. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. My grandfather, um, no longer with us, but he was one of my favorite people in the world um, because he, he was one of those people that made me feel like I had a voice. He actually used to smoke and he, um, and so as a little girl, you take those little classes and they say, oh, smoke and all that kind of stuff. So my grandpa had come to visit and I was just like, grandpa, you're not supposed to smoke. It's not good for your health. And like that whole weekend, he did not smoke a cigarette. And I just, you know, looking back, like, and I knew that he did that because he wanted me to feel like my voice mattered, you know? And, like, knowing now, like, you know, when people, like, smoke, like, that, it's, you know, it's a sense of, like, this is something I want to do or, like, you know, it's a ha- it can be a habit for some people or it's a, maybe it's a leisure, you know, pastime for others. But I thought that was so significant because when I, when he stopped smoking for that one weekend, I felt like I could do anything. I could, you know, if that was just how powerful that was to me as a kid, that I felt that conviction. I said, Grandpa, I'm really concerned about you. I don't want you to smoke anymore. I don't want you to get sick. And he said, okay, I'll stop. And now every other time after that. <laughs> <laughs> smoking. Yeah. Um, but 
that particular moment, I don't know why it was just such a pivotal moment for me that I felt like, somebody listens to me. They hear me and they'll, and they'll, you know, they'll listen and they'll act, you know? And so, um, I, I never forget he, uh, when I was, uh, I may have been in either, either high school or college, early part of college. And I went down to visit him and he said, you know, I'm just so, I'm so surprised or like, I can't believe that I have a granddaughter like you who looks like you. And I just thought he's, he was such a humble, humble, like spirit, like just very generous. I just loved just following him around everywhere he went. Like he would like go on these errands for my grandma. And, and I would just like say, can I just come with you? And he just, he was just such a gentle soul. But the fact that he just was like, thought that he thought the world of me. And I just was a child, you know, like how significant is that? Um, but he said that, he said, you know, when I was a little boy, I used to pick cotton. And there was a woman who said that because, you know, because he couldn't really, in his mind, maybe he didn't feel like he picked cotton very well. Or the woman kept saying that he wasn't doing it well. And she would always say, well, because you can't pick cotton, you'll never be able to take care of your family. And, um, and he really, like, held on to that. And I just felt like, oh, my God. Like, she, like, literally tried to speak, speak like that over him, you know. And so he was looking at me as, you know, person going to college. And um, he's just like, wow, like, you know, I may not have been able to pick cotton, but look at, look at her. Look at, look at you, you know. And it just made me want to cry, <laughs> you know, because he just always made me feel like I was a special person and that, um, you know, that my voice mattered. He, he didn't mind me tagging along and I never tried to make it, you know, to where I was asking too many questions or anything, but he's just, just a gentle soul, gentle spirit. You know, I don't think I ever heard him raise his voice ever. Never saw him angry, just a gentle spirit. I mean, to be honest with you, like there are rare men <laughs> that I've met in life that are like him. And I always thought, like, this is a special man. And so, so he was one of my, he was always one of my favorites. You know, he's long, no longer with us, um, but he's, he's always in my heart because he just made such an impact on me. When you think about that he made you feel like you had a voice that someone was like, how does that shape what you do now? I think that, and I, I think I actually have thought about this before, that there were other times after that point where I, I like went back to that point and, and thought, well, I, I spoke up and I told my grandpa that, hey, this is not healthy for you. And he stopped smoking. Even if it was just for a moment, that was enough for me to feel like my voice could be powerful. So there were other moments where, you know, I'm, it may have been more uncomfortable because it wasn't a, a grandpa or something. 
um, that I felt I would lean on that experience and say, okay, well, I did speak up in this instance and my voice was heard. So let me just try, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it did, it did give me confidence in, you know, and each time you speak up and you see that the world doesn't crumble down. (laughs) It builds your confidence and, and you start to see that, okay, maybe my voice is for a purpose, you know? Um, and over time, as I, as I continue to be put in situations where I felt I needed to say whatever I felt was in my heart, that was always affirmed. You know, people would say, wow, you have a lot of wisdom for your age or, you know, so it kind of helped me to kind of, to take my voice serious. So then it was like, well, you don't want to just say anything too. You want to make sure that what you say is meaningful and isn't, you're not just running off the mouth either because people are listening. So I think from that point on, I just recognized how important it is to use use your voice, but also to use it wisely because you could also hurt people as well with your voice, which I've, you know, I've been in situations where I've, said something that hurt someone's feeling and that never feels good <laughs> so you know just being conscientious about about your voice knowing that there's power in it yeah and it sounds like oh so it sounds like today you use a lot of your voice too through like your art and the expression so how does that work do you feel like when you create art you're creating it to send a message to the world or do you feel like it's more like you're creating art just because this is what you personally like and you, you know, you don't care too much what anybody else thinks. It's like, this is what I like. How does that work? It's a little both. Um, because I think, you know, maybe when I was in school, I was trying to communicate something specific or sometimes when you're in school, you feel like you're being told that you need to communicate something specific. Um, and so there was kind of this, like, there was kind of a time where I kind of fell out of love with art because I felt like, hey, like, I'm trying to say something. I'm not sure if it's working. I feel like other people are wanting me to say something. Don't know if I really want to say that. <laughs> um, and so there was this kind of attention like when I was only trying to like say something and it kind of, in a way to take the joy out of it, you know, because the other side of art is expression, which is to be able to express yourself. You know, it's one thing to, to just talk and to give voice, but if you're not really expressing anything that which is inside you, if you're still bottled up. And so um, so I recognized that I needed to be doing both. I needed to make work that had some meaning to it. But in order to get to that meaning, I needed to find ways to just express all of the different ways that I could be saying it so that that way I just get all of that out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then when you're kind of like, say if I'm preparing for an exhibition, then I might be editing down, like, what are the most effective ways in which I, I'm speaking um, but to just take the limits off of it a little bit so that that way I could just express what I think 
and make things rather than just kind of it all being in your head. Mm -hmm. So that that can be a struggle because you know that there are people who are going to want to critique what you do. And so having a method where you could just say, who cares about all that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. And then, then I can choose whether or not I feel like, okay, that works or not. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, how I see it now, at least. But it took some time. Hold on just a second. Mm-hmm. Unless I forgot I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to do it on my, on my laptop. Okay, go ahead. You can go to the next question. I'm um, going to let you know. Yeah, no, um, I, was, I was thinking about how you just said that you, like, the message kind of behind the art. And I was thinking about uh, a new exhibition I was reading about that you co-curated, and it was called uh, The Right to Herself. And I was just wondering, like, what's, mm-hmm. what is the story behind that? Like, why why that exhibition, what does it mean? And maybe I noticed people could do like a Zoom and kind of go look at it. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. All over the world can, can take a look. Yeah, so there was a, there's a recording of the, from the opening reception. And um, I don't know if it's available yet, but if, when it does become available, I'll, I'll send it to you. But basically, it's the notion that let me just let him know this. Okay. So the right to, to herself is an exhibition about the 19th Amendment. But more specifically, it's about what the 19th Amendment means, particularly to women of color. Um, so this is actually an exhibition that was the vision of Hamida Glasgow. She's the executive director for the Center for Fine Art Photography. And she, you know, there was all this debate and conversation about like the centennial of the 19th Amendment and everybody was excited about it. Um, She had actually been doing some research on her own about the history of the 19th Amendment, history of women's suffrage, and had discovered in her own research about the history of the influence of indigenous women influencing the women's suffrage leaders, which as a result brought about the 19th Amendment. Um, So the text that she uh, referenced is actually one that I used to teach on in when I taught a course called Yes Women of Color. And um, so as she was doing kind of the prep of doing that exhibition, kind of trying to organize it, she realized that as, uh, as a white woman that she was like, um, I probably should, you know, have a, a co-curator who can like really give me a different perspective on this. And so that's how I got brought on to the project. Um, and, you know, because I've, you know, I've taught on this very history of women of color um, and their their influence on the suffrage movement. 
but also like what does it mean for women of color to exercise their right their right to vote um, when you know our rights with even current moment are very complicated you know so so there's the vote and there's the history of how women of color you know of all different backgrounds have played a role and their stories are rarely shared or talked about within the context of women's suffrage and so all the artists in the show um speak to that to some degree so some are talking specifically about like certain figures or, or kind of having a, or doing a salute to those figures. And then others are saying, yeah, we had the right to vote, but what about these things? We still are experiencing injustice. Because um, the whole idea of voting is about being able to share your voice. And so in, in that way, they're sharing their voice to say, hey, these things matter too. So, so yeah, it was a really great opportunity to um, put in exhibition form so much of what my research talks about. Um, and there's there's there are like few opportunities where other institutions are wanting to hear in an exhibition form the perspective of multiple types of women of color. So. Typically, what I've noticed is that people will do shows that are like all Black artists or all Asian artists or all Native artists. Very rarely do we see exhibitions where we see different groups of people that aren't being tokenized to some degree speaking and having a conversation, you know, and being thoughtfully included, not as an afterthought. So, um, so whenever those opportunities arise, I always get excited because that's pretty much what my research is all about is that that particular type of exhibition creation. So, so yeah, that's how I got a, that's how I got a chance to be on that project. And that's kind of the backstory is just that um, women of color have, were the influencers of the women's suffrage movement. So that should be noted. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was in looking at the lives of women of color and the, the equal um, ways in which they were able to function in their communities, particularly Native women, um, that they had a powerful role. They weren't on the back burner. They were a part of the, the community culture. They had a powerful seat at the table and a powerful voice at the table. And so... Um, the suffragists basically, you know, had access to those communities and saw that and said, hey, you know, surely we, which that says something right there, <laughs> surely we should have equality if they can. Now, there's there's a whole, like, you know, we could, we could unpack that and say that there's a whole racist ideology behind all of that. Mm-hmm. But I think what I focus on is the fact that the idea is that women of color have always been in a much more, um, I wouldn't say equal, because there's all kinds of, there's ways in which patriarchy like hits all cultures, right? So that's, that's something else. But 
Um, but in many cultures, um, women have had played a, a centralized role. In fact, what, what was one of the critiques of the suffrage movement and other women's movements after that, whenever they would say, well, it's all about, you know, labor equality or work equality or, you know, the right to work. So like in the suffrage movement, and the, the earlier parts of the movement, it was all about the right to work, the right to be able to come out of the house and actually work and bring in an income because then that would, as a result, um, balance the family unit to where, you know, husbands wouldn't see the wives of equal, you don't even work, right? So then the, so the whole argument was, well, if we can just start working, then we can, we can start to like become more equal and to have more of a voice in, in family decisions because we're contributing. Well, women of color has all, have always worked. There's never, unless by choice, which my, actually my grandmother was one of those rare uh, grandmothers on my mother's side, um, rare uh, cases of women who, um, could have been a domestic worker, but her husband decided that, nope, you will not work in somebody else's house. And so that was a, that to me was a political decision that they made to say, in order for you to have time to be with their six kids, you know, you're not going to, you know, you don't have to work, you know, um, but outside of those scenarios, for the most part, women of color have always worked. There's, there, there's not been this, oh, if I could just work, then I'd have a voice scenario. And so many women of color were responding to the movement saying, y'all are all fighting about working. We working now. <laughs> we're working in your house. <laughs> so they're like, there are other issues besides just work. You know, so that's where kind of a contention began in the women's movement, the women's suffrage movement, when women of color were saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm for what you're saying. I do believe that, yes, as women, we, you know, we, we all are being dealt a bad hand in terms of gender. However, you know, as women of color, I need you to understand that my situation is going to look a little different. You know, and it may mean that my oppressor may be you. <laughs> so, as another woman. So, but in, in that regard, it was about opening that conversation. Mm-hmm. So, the exhibition really is about doing that, too. So. I love that it's so, it's, it's such a big, here we're writing the story of history, but also changing future history at the same time through art. I think that's so powerful because I think oftentimes I work in the community organizing space, but I don't always think to use art as a method to tell a story or to fix a story or to, you know, continue. And um, one of the neat projects that some of our students have been working on, they did a photo voice project. I'm not sure if you ever heard of that. Yeah, that is a method. Yeah. That is my, like, that's what I teach my students how to do is photo voice. That's so funny. I'm always teaching other people how to do photo voice. 
Yeah, so funny. And their their story is they wanted to talk about how the tobacco industry targeted people of color, and mm. show that through the lens of photography. And uh, even to your opening story, I was just thinking like how there are so many smokers today that you know they were deliberately targeted. It wasn't like they just said, "Oh, I'm going to casually pick up." this and um you know like free menthol products were handed out in communities of color um mm -hmm. whereas that wasn't happening everywhere and um yep. thinking about in you know, massachusetts one of the things that they just did is uh, ban all menthol products um mm. but the tobacco industry did come out and say this is targeting communities of color they should be allowed to have menthol and the kids were saying we want to protect the health of our grandparents. This is about you lining your money with, you know, your pockets with money. You don't care about people of color getting mental. You care that you're going to lose money. And we care yeah. about losing our grandparents' life. And so they were able yeah. to tell the story using art um, to make a change rather than um, some of the traditional methods. And it was, it was really eye-opening. I'm not an artist at all when it comes to that like having an eye to see things um i would not consider myself as art i'd probably be like the plagiarizer of art and copy somebody else and be like oh you know the paint by number type of girl um you see that's the thing about photo voice um and this is what i tell my students the the beauty about photo voice is that it's not necessarily like sure it has its roots in documentary photo photography is one of like the reasons why we use photography, but there is an element of expression and an element of um, improvisation, an element of um, flexibility and meaning. And I think as an artist, what, what I try to think about is, you know, you have different styles of art. There's, you know, you're straight up, figurative, very clear what's going on. I can read it. I can see it. Um, but then all art is not going to look that way. And so what I try to encourage my students to do when they're doing photo voice is I say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not going to be judging you on your photography skills. Like this is the one moment where you can just take photos and you're not, these are art students. You can just take photos and however you feel that relates to the reading, this is your reflection. This is not me judging how, how you reflect. This is your visual reflection. And then you tell me what it means. That's, that's the opportunity for flexibility and for growth and learning. And I, I, what I've learned in doing that by keeping it open Students take it like in so many different ways. You know, I have students that have, you know, created like visual studies, you know, and they've like basically done a documentary series where they've done portraits of different people and they interviewed them. And then so, you know, I think just kind of allowing students to kind of take their own spin on it, like an artist and like, I, I say, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be grading your photos but they must be there. 
It's a, it's a requirement that you have the photos, but I, I'm only looking to see what you do with them rather than the photos themselves. Now, in many, in many cases, the photos stand for themselves. So there's, I've, I have yet to see one case where the photos were just like, you know, illegible and I couldn't understand what was going on. In, in most cases, people really like try their best to try to think about how can I show Dr. Cross what I'm seeing in my world, in my, in my life. And that's, that's all photo voice is. Mm-hmm. It's just show me what, show me what you see, you yeah. know? Yeah. So that's been a, it's, it's such a great opportunity that I feel even with with art, you know, one thing that I try to do is to break down the barriers of art, you know, because there are so many barriers. There are so many avenues in which people say, well, that's not art or that's not good enough to be art. And I really am against that um, because I think that people should have the right to enjoy art and people should have the right to feel like they can make art. You know, whether or not it ends up <laughs> in a gallery or a museum, there's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother situation. Sure. But whether or not someone can just make something, let people make make art. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't think that that should be restricted. That makes perfect sense. Lauren is saying hi. Mm-hmm. Hi, Lauren. Hello. My, my son and name. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's good to see you. You see you too. Did you have fun with the interview? Yeah, we're all. Yeah. We're we're we having fun talking about pictures. So did. <laughs> I don't feel like prudence. Okay. Oh. I look to watch a movie downstairs. Um, I only have two more questions. Um, okay. You you answered like most of them, just telling the story part of it. So that's yeah. so exciting. Um, I love when that happens. Me too, and I get excited because I do think about. I think of uh, kind of going back to photo voice. I think about how on our end, like we do a lot of policy change, but it's having a perspective that just our politicians are never going to see, our lawmakers are never going to see. So it's like so cool to use art for them to kind of get inside of a young person's world. Um, yeah. And say, oh, I didn't, I've never seen this before. Like, no, you really have it, you know? Um, and just seeing people's eyes get opened and that comes out of art. Like I always just think of art as like, oh, I, I never, I never really thought of it as like a, a, something to use to change the world. I've always thought of it as, oh, it just makes the world like prettier or nicer. But it's like it's really not. It's so much more than that. Yeah, and and photo voice is one of those those particular avenues in which you can do it. You know, some people would say, well, could a artwork that's in a museum could it change the world? Maybe, but a photo voice project could you know what I mean and so I think it's it's, that's why I love it because it's about how do you take art into places that are unexpected sometimes the traditional places 
aren't the most effective places to make change is those that are unconventional and are more like in the community tend to be, in my mind, the most effective places to make change. Mm -hmm. This has been a fantastic conversation and I'm excited for people to get to hear it.